Welcome. Welcome to Centerpoint this morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Doug Dodge, but that's completely irrelevant. Truly. There's, there's one thing that's relevant. It's that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, and this is the commemorative day of him rising from the dead. And we're here to celebrate that. That's why we're here. Praise you, Jesus. I've been... Uh, Praying about this, studying all week long, looking at it from different angles. There's so many things that you can do and teach on with this amazing, amazing day. But what I'm going to teach on is what happens when the Savior, the Jesus that you thought you knew, dies. What happens? What do you do with that? And, and, you know, for these disciples, for, for their situation, they're, you know, they're trying to figure out, okay, uh, we thought he was going to take over Rome. This is the Messiah. This is the one who's supposed to come and, and fix everything. Why is he not doing it? Uh, why is he going to a cross? That doesn't make any sense to me. And so the Jesus that they know dies. And none of them get it. He's told him three times. He's actually told him four because he told him that he'd only give him the sign of Jonah. He's told him three times, I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to rise. He lets them know. But they don't, they don't understand. How could they? This has never been done. How could they understand? And so they, 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 they're scared to ask him about it. They never say anything. Let's take a look at uh, where this starts, where I'm going to start today. Sorry, my phone is not being my friend, and my Bible's on it, so let's try this one more time. There. Thank you for cooperating. The Holy Spirit took over my phone. Uh, he's better than Verizon, praise God. I was just quietly praying in my head, like, God, uh, give me some connect connectivity here. All right, so uh, where it should be, yeah, John 20, 11, and I want to just read it through first. And what you've got going on here, just set the stage, just set the stage. You've got all of the disciples, they watched Jesus die. Peter denies him. Everyone's freaking out. Jesus is dead. He's been walking on water, healing people, preaching the kingdom. He speaks with authority, not like the people that they had heard. Everything's different. And they're wildly enticed by this amazing Savior, but they don't know he's the Savior. They don't understand. They just, all they know is that they're attracted they're like, I've got to hear more of this. I've got to understand what this all means. And so as, as it's really culminating into thousands of people coming and listening to this man preach, he's now going to go to a cross? Like, not even, Jesus knew this was coming. He knew he was the Lamb of God. He knew it was intended that he should die on Passover instead of just some lamb, that this perfect lamb without blemish would die like it's been happening for thousands of years, but now it would be a man. It would be God as a man dying after living a perfect life. He knew what he was going to do, but the world didn't. Even his closest friends had no idea, and yet it happens, and not by his choosing. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. He knows that they're coming, and Rome and the Pharisees decide to kill him at this time. They play right into God's hand. 
It was their decision to go kill him and to do it at this time, and yet it was the exact right time of all time for Jesus to die for everyone to recognize this was the Savior. So now you've got the disciples behind closed doors. Peter's denied him three times. Everybody watched Jesus die. And of course, boulders split, and the sky went dark at 3 p.m., and it just stays that way, and everybody's like, oh, whoa, this was, this was, you know, the Son of God. But yet no one understands. And so you enter the scene where we are now with, a, with a Mary and another Mary, Mary Magdalene, another Mary. They go to the tomb with spices because what they want to do is spice up the dead body. They don't expect that Jesus is alive, they want to put perfume on a dead Jesus. Be careful of doing that, by the way. Be careful of trying to sugarcoat Jesus. Be, be careful of trying to pretty up who Jesus is because you think you have to. He's already raised from the dead. They didn't need to bring the spices. But they're thinking, out of respect, he's rotting this person I loved is running. I'm at least going to make him smell better. So they're bringing spices and they're on their way. They're like, who's going to move the tomb? Who's going to move the tomb? Little did they know that an angel had already thumped down on the ground, caused an earthquake, petrified all the soldiers, made them shake, walked up, pushed the stone out of the way and sat on top. But just so we're clear, he wasn't letting Jesus out. Jesus wasn't bouncing around in there like an electron trying to get out, and this guy helped him. Jesus didn't raise up and be like, okay, so I'm just kind of waiting on that angel so I can go tell people that I'm back. You know, I'm back. He wasn't in there. He, he rolled the stone away so everybody else could look in and see that he had already walked out. Do you understand? That's what happened. So the angel's only there to move the stone so that you can look in and go, oh, he did what he said. He's, he's not there. There's just death wrappings, but there's no body in them. So they just, you know, they come with the spices, just drop them. Those are useless. But now Mary's sitting outside the tomb, and she's crying. And it begins here. John 20, verse 11 says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb, she's crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sit, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. She's still trying to put spice on the dead body. At this, she turned around, saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, like, dude, it's been two and a half days. Like, if I didn't see one of you for a couple of days, I should recognize you. I should see you. Like, like that shouldn't be hard to do. But Jesus, as God, has appeared again, and now they're having trouble recognizing him because he's not what they expected. See, sometimes when you're Jesus, the way you picture Jesus dies, and then he comes to you in a new way, in your, in your frustration, your depression. I was looking for you, Jesus, but you didn't show up. I was looking for you, and the thing I kept praying about wasn't happening, and then Jesus shows up in some new way, and sometimes it takes you a little while to dawn on you, oh, that's Jesus. 
Sometimes it takes a moment to recognize that it's, sometimes he flashes on the scene and you have no question. It's tears and, and blubbering and you're on your knees. And other times it takes a little while for it to dawn on you, oh, you're not dead. You're alive. And you're speaking to me again. And that's where she is. And that's why each one of these people, the two on the Emmaus Road, Cleopas and his friend, we don't know his name. They're walking down the road and Jesus comes up behind him. Hey, what you guys talking about? Like he doesn't know. And, and, and he hangs out with them for a while. They don't know who he is. None of the women recognize him till he says their names, till they touch him. Then they do, till he touches them. He asked her, woman, this is Jesus. She doesn't recognize him. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him. I'll go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Just, just look. All he says is her name. What's so stunning about that is he knows her personally. Everyone it's, it's almost become trite in the body of Christ to say this, but it should not be. Jesus is about a relationship and not religion. Please, please get that. I know that you've heard it. I know it's been said. Say it again and again until you're out of breath. It's about a relationship, not religion. It's not rules made by men. It's not what the Pharisees had. That's why they had no power. Jesus speaks with authority because no one can speak with authority into your life like someone who you are close to. No one can speak with authority in my life unless I trust what they're going to say. If they've got a relationship with me and I have one with them, then they say something and it actually lands on me and I think about it. And even if I don't like what they said, I think about it and think about it and often change my behavior because I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. Because I trust them. This is a relationship. So let's just go a little further. Uh, Mary, she turned toward him. She cries out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, don't hold on to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers. Tell them I'm ascending to the Father and to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. And he says, peace be with you. Well, first, there's two reasons he says that. One, if the doors are locked because you think you're going to be killed by either Rome or by the Pharisees, both groups hate you, both know you are with Jesus, and you are fearing for your life, so you've locked the doors. You're having your little secret meeting, which is really not even a prayer meeting. They're just lost right now. The Jesus that they knew is dead. The Jesus that they had come to know and that they had come to trust just died, and they can't fathom why that could have happened. And so they're stuck in this kind of place where they don't know what to think about Jesus anymore. Have, have you ever been there? Has your Jesus, has your view of Jesus ever died? So you're stuck there for a little while and you know he's real, but the way you thought that he would always move and speak to you isn't working this time. The words feel dry. Your faith feels old and it hurts. And you're like, what's going on, Lord? 
Normally you would come and speak to me and talk to me right now. Normally you would come save me right now, but I'm still sitting behind a locked door all by myself crying at night because I haven't figured this out. Haven't you been there? Okay, a few of you have. Oh, more heads. Yeah, we all have. Don't lie to me. <laughs> Everyone's been there. Got some honest people, few liars, few on the, on the fence, kind of, maybe some, maybe that could have happened. It's always happened. We got these finite, tiny little brains, and we got these finite, tiny little lives. It's foolish to think that we could figure him out in a hundred years. It's foolishness. I heard a pastor say we have to live forever. You want to know why? Because it's going to take that long to figure him out. He's that big. He's that wonderful. He's that good. He loves that much. And it's way beyond us. And since it's so deeply beyond us, he works personally within what we do understand. But sometimes he wants to take you to another level. He wants to say, okay, your walk is here, but I want it here. And for that to happen, you actually have to die more to yourself. You have to die. That's how life happens. You have to die to yourself and die to what you want and die to what you thought I was and be raised up into what I really am and what I really wanted to do with you. And he will do this and do this and do this in your life. It won't be once. It won't be twice. It won't be three times. You have to daily die to yourself. Why? When they say, teach us how to pray. Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? We don't really know how. And he starts like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, word we don't even use. More precious than anything else I have. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That means my kingdom go, my will be subservient to your will. That is where you find Jesus. That's where you find him. So they're behind locked doors. There's two reasons he says peace be you with you. One, he just walked into a locked room, and you can't do that if you're a regular person. So another person's there in the room that wasn't there before, and that's freaky. I don't know if you ever were just sitting there talking to people in a room with the door closed, and someone was in there that you didn't know was there. It says, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. You're like, oh. And then you realize, oh, they're in there too, and you didn't know. One of my brother in the yellow back there, his favorite trick is to wait somewhere and, and, and uh, scare his wife, then post on Facebook, because that's super funny. You know, your closet, by the way, is an awesome hiding place. So Jesus suddenly comes in the room. He's like, peace be with you. And they're, oh. You know, they're all, but there's another reason he's saying it. They're not at peace. Everything in their life is not at peace. The Jesus that they knew just died. They, they're lost. They don't understand what he's doing. They can't comprehend it. And they're in a locked room fearing for their lives. And he walks in. He says, peace be with you. He says that because when Jesus speaks, it's supernatural. He's, don't forget that everything was made through him, for him, by him. He has all this authority. He helped create everything. So he's one with God, and they spoke the sun into existence by just saying light. They just said a word, and the sun was there. They just said man, and man was there. Now, how do you even age that? You got a, you got a man, people trying to carbon date stuff. The man's fully grown. He speaks. He thinks. He has everything a full man has, but he was born, literally born yesterday. 
You know, how do you age that? How do you age this planet when God just said earth? You can't age it because it was made by a timeless God who just spoke it into existence. So when he says in your life, and you've been, you're struggling with a dead Jesus. You're struggling with, he's dead to you right now. Like, God, I, I can't connect with you. Or, or what you're doing in my life, I don't like. Or that man I trusted, he was leading me in the kingdom and he fell apart. So now I'm falling apart. When that kind of thing happens and Jesus feels dead to you, you do what Mary did. Go to the last place you found him and wait there until he shows up. Because he will. Jesus never stays dead. And if Jesus feels dead to you, he'll never let it stay in that way. Unless you do. If you move towards him, if you seek him out, he will do what he did with the disciples. He walks into their locked room and says, peace be with you. That's supernatural. Understand this, that when he spoke that, they had it. When he spoke peace into their life, they felt it. When he spoke it, they breathed it in. It's the same thing as sun, earth, peace. It's the same thing. It's from the same Savior. And they felt that peace. So again, Jesus said, uh, oh, after this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed. It's like, it's really me, guys. In Luke, um, I'm sorry, in one of the other, I think it might be, mm, might be Luke. Anyway, one of the Gospels, he has to eat some broiled fish. They're like, I think he's a ghost. But if he can eat food and it doesn't hit the ground, you know, like, uh, okay, I knew it. He's just, he's not really here. <laughs> But if he digests food, he's got to be a human. <laughs> he's got to be alive. And so they have him eat broiled fish. No one makes this stuff up. These guys are just writing what they saw. You know, you might have, if you're writing it to be clever, you'd probably put filet mignon. But they said broiled fish because that's what he did. What do you, you get anything to eat? Yeah, we got some fish here. He's real. And he proves it. Here's, here's my stuff. It's me. And then he says to them again, Peace be with you. Because that's what he does. Doesn't he? He speaks peace. And then you start to lose it again. Because life just starts to happen. And this Jesus that you're starting to reconnect with. And you're like, oh, you are so real. You're so, tears, tears. And the next day you're cutting someone off. And you're mad that someone cut you off. And you're talking the same way. And you're acting the same way. You're like, oh, man, a bunch of jerks on the street. And, you, and your attitude is just it's, it's, it's becoming the same as it was. And he says it again. Peace be with you. You should be at peace. You are the most blessed thing that ever existed. Because the culmination of all my creation landed with you. I can make anything I want. I can make the universe. I can make anything I want. And I choose my, my crescendo was man. I love you that much. You mean that much. I came here to die for you. I didn't even know how to die. I had to figure that out. I came here to die for you. I took your sins on the cross so that your sins would be washed if you just accepted the blood of Christ over your life. I died on Passover to remind you that the wrath of God passes over you because if you accept Jesus into your heart, I wash all that sin away like it didn't exist.
So Jesus says again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on him, said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive men's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. He gives them this power that's from the throne of God. Like he does us. He lives inside of you by the Holy Spirit. The love of God is shed abroad through the hearts of men by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5. We get the Holy Spirit of God. And we're the temple. We're where the Holy of Holies is. A few days earlier, he's on the cross. And, and he, you know, forgive them for, the, for they don't know what they do. They don't, they don't understand. They don't understand. And, and they bring him the hyssop branch. He takes a little sip. And he's like, it, it's finished. It's finished. Rocks. Breaking earthquake goes dark. Yeah, you know, people come up out of the graves. Complete, complete awesome event, but no one understands what's going on. But this Jesus, he, he's in a position now where everything that they saw, everything that they understood, everything that they hoped for is flatlined. And they've locked the doors. There is, there is no locked door that can keep Jesus out. Okay? Twice they have locked doors. It's going to happen again shortly because Thomas isn't going to believe. No locked door keeps Jesus out. No locked tomb can keep him in. No locked door can keep him out. So you might think, Jesus can't get a hold of me. I don't believe this. I came here because my friend told me to come. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Jesus, Jesus. And you're here. There is, be careful. There is no locked door that can keep Jesus out. He comes to every man. You have a choice to make, but he will come. There's no unbelief that stops him from coming, or he'd never come to the planet in the first place. There is no attitude that keeps him from coming. Has Jesus ever come to you right in the middle of you being a jerk? And said, what are you doing? Why are you acting this way? Praise God that he does that. There's no locked door that keeps him out. I have been right in the middle of thinking the worst things and hating someone and wanting to get revenge and, and retaliate, thinking of the way that I was going to do it. When Jesus came and said, that locked door doesn't keep me out. You're thinking wrong. Think different. I love you. Peace be with you. And instead of him coming and be like, which he could do. He's got every right. He comes and says, peace. You want to know why? Anybody on this planet who is like one of those people that de-escalates problems, you don't walk into a situation and tell someone what they're doing wrong. So that guy with a gun that's ready to shoot people, you know, man, what are you, an idiot? Stop shooting people. Look, look around. He just, you're next. What you do... And you say, hey, hey, look, I see that you're really troubled. 
can we talk? Can I just talk to you for a second? You and I, we're just, just, just you and me, nobody else. Uh, what, why are you here? What's, what happened to you that got you to this place? And, and they do that, and they kind of de-escalate the thing to try to get the gun out of the guy's hands. Jesus is always trying to get the gun out of our hands. He always de-escalates the problem because he comes, he says, peace be with you. And when he speaks that, all of the wrestling starts to settle. And you have the ability to hear what he has to say because you trust the Savior that's saying it. He is relational. He can instantly establish a relationship with you. Why would you resist it? Why resist it? I don't want no eternal life. I don't want peace that's a, that lasts forever. No, I don't want that. I, I don't want him to change my life. Okay, that one's a little valid because he's going to. Salvation is free. But it costs you your will. Understand that. It's completely free. But what it costs is your will. You have to trust that this God knows better what to do with your life than you do. So speaking of doubters, speaking of locked doors, Thomas. So verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples the first time Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. We saw him. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now just register that for a second. He gets a bad rap for this. He gets a super-duper bad rap for this. Everybody's like, oh, Doubting Thomas, Doubting Thomas. He shouldn't. Bunch of hypocrites. All these other disciples already did it. They're like, you know, they already touched him. They're, he's like, he had to show them. You're not real. Look, here's the holes. You're not real. Give me some fish. He had to convince them. And they're like, we saw the Lord, we saw the Lord. He's like, I won't believe it unless I see it myself, unless I touch him myself. And everybody's like, oh, doubting Thomas. If he had been there, if he'd been a fly on the wall a week earlier, I mean, you bunch of losers, you all needed more than I did. <laughs> you made him eat food. You know, I just had to touch the, so, and, and, and the women see him at the tomb, clasp him, worship him. Oh, you're Jesus. They run back to everybody. It says their words seem like nonsense to him. No, he's not. He didn't. He didn't come back to life. You're wrong. They did all the same stuff. So it's not really fair that Thomas gets this rap. Because all of us have to touch Jesus to believe him. All of us have to be touched by Jesus to believe him. You don't believe from afar. You have to touch him. He has to touch you back. You have to make connection with him or you won't believe. This has to happen. What Thomas is saying has got to be a thing. And it can be. It always can be. You just have to desire. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Not might be opened unto you. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Seek and you will find. Ask and you will receive. But see, here's the problem. People, we, we, we go up to knock on the door and then we like run away. What is that? If you go to a friend's house and you know they're in there and you can hear the TV going, you knock. They didn't come to the, I must have a headphones in or something. Knock louder. 
You go outside, you look in the window. You, go, you knock again. You're trying to get their attention. You're not going anywhere until that person comes to the door. You're like, I know you're in there. You feel dumb when they left the TV on, then really not there. But with Jesus, he's always home, but he doesn't want you to just come up, knock, and then run away. Like, keep knocking. If you don't hear anything, keep going. If the scripture says he'll hear you and he'll speak to you, then trust that. I won't believe unless I put my fingers where those holes were. So verse 26 says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but Jesus came and stood among them again. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. You see my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Quick note about that. That feels like Thomas just got demoted a little. You know, you had to see me to believe. Blessed are the ones who didn't have to see me and still believe. It feels like, again, wow, what's with this doubting Thomas rap? Here's what's really happening here. So I'm a guitar player. If you, while learning how to play guitar, you're one of those guys that just teaches yourself, and you learn stuff, and you might hang out with people that play, but you don't really take any classes or anything. You just either play by ear, or you figure it out. You watch a video, you YouTube, you YouTube anything now. And you start learning how to play. But then you make a chord wrong. You, it, you, it sounds right, but the way you're forming it's bad. And then, that's fine, no one even notices, till you learn a certain kind of song where if your hand is in that position, that configuration is hard to switch fast, because there's a better way to do it. And you learned it wrong. So for this song, you have to relearn how you do the chord that your muscle just goes to without even thinking. And when you have to relearn something that your hand just instantly does, and you don't even think about it, just instantly goes there, it's super hard to retrain yourself. Every time you're playing a sport and you learn how to do something wrong, and then you get in front of a coach, he says, oh, wow, if you just change your shot a little bit, you'll make a lot more shots. And you're like, well, this is how I do it, though. Yeah. yeah, but that looks stupid, and people can block it easy. So if you do it this way and put a little more arc on it, it'll work. And then when you first time you do it, you throw it over the backboard. The next one's like shallow. The next one you hit somebody, and you, you can't do it right. It takes a little while. But then you start to get smoothed out, and then, you, then you're better. All the other disciples learned Jesus as a man. They learned him as a man. They interacted with him. They walked with him. They held his hand. They, they, they listened to him speak like a man. They watched him eat food like a man. They watched him get tired like a man. They watched him sleep. They watched him wake up like a man. They, they, the only thing he didn't do like a man is sin. So they're watching this amazing man do amazing things, but he's a man. They didn't know he was God. Otherwise, they would have known that he couldn't die. But he did die, convincing them, see, just a man. Locked doors. Super depression. He's not who he said he was. 
They had to retrain every knee-jerk thing they'd learned about Jesus to understand that he's God. Now seeing him, he says, my Lord, my God. Not my teacher, not my friend, not Rabboni. My Lord, my God, Thomas says. And that is why Jesus says, you know what? It's amazing that you got that because you've had to retrain your brain. You did all the chords wrong. You thought I was a man. You thought I was a man. I'm God. And now you know me as God. Blessed are the ones who will meet me as God and will always know me as just that. They won't have to retrain their minds. They won't have to be like, oh, he's just a man. No, he's God. No, if you meet Jesus now, you meet him as God. There's only one way to meet Jesus Christ, and it's you pray, and you wait for him to speak back to you because he does. He always speaks. It's not just some pastor that he speaks to. It's not just some super religious person. Matter of fact, he'll be the last one to hear. It's someone with religion instead of a relationship that does not hear God. That's why they're erroneous. When they teach stuff out of the Word, they're not listening to the Holy Spirit tell them what to say. God wants to communicate with us. Where two or more are gathered, there he is in the midst. It doesn't mean he's obligated to join you. All rats, two of them are praying. Wait, wait, everybody. Wait, angels. i got to go down. He loves to be in the midst. That's where he wants to be. He died for that privilege. And he lives for it. And he wants you there with him forever. It'll never, ever stop. Last thing. Forget the other slides. <laughs> God, God, God took me on a tangent, but I, I was on a tangent. God redirected me. I was on a tangent. He says in Luke 11, they're asking, hey, we need a sign, we need a sign. This is the finish line. So some of you are like, this guy got to talk forever? Finish line. Give us a sign. You, you say, uh, you're acting like you're more than just a man. You're saying stuff that sound like God. Give us a sign that you're, you're more special than our, our Pharisees, our teachers of the law, the people that have been teaching us. What, give us a sign. He says, I'll give you a sign. He said, warning. An evil and adulterous nation seeks a sign. Because you'd rather have a sign than just have the God of the sign. You'd rather just see some sign and that's... I'll tell you what. The biggest miracle is a changed life. It's amazing if you see a mountain get tossed in the sea. Wow, oh my gosh, that's amazing. But that causes a tidal wave and kills all kinds of people. So, you know, what I'd really rather see is that life changed. And I see it so rarely that it's a bigger miracle than the mountain. I mean, really changed. Really looking for God. Really watching for him. Really pursuing him. Really like up in the early morning collecting, man, I got to know you, Jesus. That is a miracle. And we don't give enough credit. Ten lepers get healed. Nine don't even come back. Oh, I feel so much better. Now to go back with my sinful life. Only one comes back and says, you're... You're amazing. You healed me. Thank you. Thank you. Who are you? And wants to know. We have this little sin problem. But he says, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. Jonah is going the wrong way. God told him to go to Nineveh. He's going to Tarshish in the exact opposite direction as far as he can possibly get. God interrupts his plans. He hates. He's not afraid. He hates them. 
And so he's not going to go where God told him to go because of hatred. And so then he's like, listen, this whole storm, God storms the whole thing up. No, you're not going to go to Tarshish. Take the boat. No, this doesn't work. Fix it. And, and John's like, you know what? Just throw me overboard. You guys will be okay. It's me. It's my fault. So they do. They, they obediently toss him overboard. Everything's smooth. And they all start praising God. None of them believers. They all had their own gods they're praying to, but they all start praying to God at that moment. The scripture's clear. They start worshiping God. So for one, if you are someone that God's moving in and all of a sudden you get tossed in the drink because you're really moving in the wrong direction, but other people can see that God is the reason, at least some other people got to see it. <laughs> at least some other people were drawn close to God. But he's, in the, he's, he's, he's drowning. And God sends a fish. Fish swallows him. He's in a fish. He's in a fish. I swear that the body of Christ compares this to Geppetto in Pinocchio. I don't know how many times I've seen some little cartoon kid show where Jonah's getting swallowed and he's on a raft floating around inside the whale and he's got like a little TV dinner and a microwave and a little TV in there, you know, and he's just kind of hanging outside the whale while it's going through the water. He's, he's saved. Everything's good, man. He's in the whale. He is in a whale. He is being digested. He's in some kind of fish. I don't care if you call it a whale, what you call it. It was a fish that could support life for at least three days. So you get slowly digested. It's dark. He was drowning. He thought he was dying. And all of a sudden, he's squishing around on, in, on the inside of a big fish. It's eating other things. Those are being digested. Do you think this is a nice smell? Do you think this is a nice aroma? Do you think this is a great place to be? No. He is in the inside of a fish waiting to be, well, you get it. So here's where he is. And it's not going to end in 30 seconds. It's not going to end in two minutes. He's going to be in there for three days. He's going to be in a place that's totally dark and is horrid. And he hates being there. And every moment he doesn't know if he can make it to the next moment. And he's not even sure if he's living or dead. Have you ever been in that place? Have you ever been in a place that was so dark and smelly and gross and so horrible? He's just like, I just wish this would end. But I'm still alive. And you're just in it. No, God, I'm not going. Swallow. And then here I am in this fish. But he doesn't even know. He said seaweed got wrapped around his head. This is horrible. He can't check his watch to see what time it is. He can't read the word to try to get some encouragement. He's in a fish. But you know what's happening? He's in there for three days. Not knowing if he's alive or dead, everything's dark. I'm not understanding what happened, but he prays in there. He starts praying and he says, God, I will yet see your temple again. What an amazing prayer for someone in a fish. Deep in the water that doesn't know where he's at. But while he's praying, what he doesn't know is that God commanded the fish not just to swallow him, but to transport him back to where he was when he left in the wrong direction. Do you see? For three days, the moment that fish swallowed him, that fish is a bus. Boop. Next stop, 
Joppa, drop you back off. You need to be back here. Now, back to Nineveh, like I said. Brings him for three days. The whole time he's lost, he's broken, he's sad, he's sad, he's worried. He thinks God has just left me here. He's forgotten me. God is answering his prayer. Do you see? For three days, his prayer is getting answered, and he doesn't even know it's happening until he gets vomited up on shore, and sometimes that's just how it feels. <laughs> and then he goes and preaches in such a way that a city that takes three days to walk through gets saved. Is that not insane? I don't know why God has to first break us, but I do. But I do. The Jesus you know when you first get saved actually has to die and then be reborn. It's not like Jesus keeps dying. Your understanding of him has to get larger. So this little pocket that Jesus was in in your head has to go away and he needs to get bigger. And then he's going to crush that and then it's going to get bigger. And then he's going to crush that and then it's going to get bigger until you truly understand who he is. And that, my friends, will take eternity. Without pain. Without tears. Without alarm clocks and without worry of being left behind or left out. We're the most blessed of all people, Christians. I, I don't, I hate it when I hear someone say, this being a Christian thing is hard. It's just hard. Yeah, granted, because our flesh gets in the way, it is hard to keep focusing on them. But not being a Christian is super hard. You have no hope. You have no peace. He can't speak it to you because you won't listen. Listen. Can we have the band back up? We, we're pretty close to my normal time. Pretty close. Pretty proud of that, actually. You don't, you don't know what a little badge that was in my spiritual walk to have pulled that off. Listen. A couple things. I said at the beginning... If you, if you don't know who Jesus is, it is just like so simple. I said at the beginning, I'll, I'll get back in the water. Water's warm. It wasn't cold. That's the first warm water I found in Maine. I'll go back in there. I'll sit in there all day. <laughs> That's a good point. I did want to do the baptism in the lake, but, you know, I came to my senses. So... Uh, I like the warmth. The warmth is good. So just quickly, if you're like, hey, that thing has my name on it because I was listening, I want in with this Jesus thing. Well, then the first thing that you do, and, and just, I'm going to ask, those of you who know Jesus, just be praying for someone who doesn't. And if you don't know Jesus, it is this simple. I'm not going to ask you to do some crazy thing. Just knock on the door. It's this simple. Jesus, I need you. I've tried to do this on my own, and I can't. I need you. This world's too big for me. It's too hard. 
is too big for my shoulders. I need you. I want you to speak peace to me. I don't want to wonder what happens when I die. I don't want to wonder about that. I want to know. I want to go to heaven with you. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to some place that's eternally apart from you. I want to go to heaven with you. I want to know who you are. I want to, I want to offer my life to you to be who you want me to be rather than trying to steer the ship on my own and then turbulent waters over and over. I invite you into my life. It's, it's that simple. You don't have to remember everything I just said. Just speak it in your own words. He hears you. He hears you. It's relational. He hears you till he says, Mary, but put your name in that slot so that you know him. Just, just, so just take a minute. Pray for someone to know. Pray, pray that we might know him better. And, other, and I just give people who are just thinking about this second to pray too. And I promise he'll come. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Lord, I pray. And everybody can be, you can hear all these prayers at once. So I'll pray, but anybody can pray. I pray that you would reveal yourself to anyone here who has not yet met you. It's not wrong to be like Thomas and say, hey, I need to touch you. I need to get a touch from you to understand that you're real. You're so good about that. But praise you that we get to know you as God, not as a man, because we get to know you as you really are. That's how we want to know you and that you live inside of us when we invite you in. So I pray for anyone here who has not invited you in to invite you in. I just pray for that, Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for those of us who are already Christians, but we're kind of in a place where the Jesus we knew doesn't feel the same, and we're kind of in a locked door, and we're not really, we kind of locked the door on you, Jesus, because we don't really want to hear anything right now because we're kind of scared of what we're going to hear because we're not willing to give up that will yet. We're not, we're, or, we're, or we're kind of harboring something, or we're hurt. Or we're just hurt or confused. I pray, Jesus, that you'd walk right through that locked door and speak supernatural peace to those that are in that place, to those that are in the belly of the whale and they don't even know that you're moving them towards their solution, just like you did, Jesus, towards life, just like you did, Jesus, just like you did the sign of Jonah, death, then life, three days, always moving in the direction of life. And Lord Jesus, for those of us, hey, listen, I'm thrilled it's Easter. I love my Savior. I'm so thankful to be here. Help us to stay in that place. Help us to stay in a place of praise and worship and, and hallelujah. Praise you, God. King of kings, don't let us keep slipping back into an old way. We want you to keep speaking peace to us. Keep knocking on the door. Keep being with you. We love you. We love you, Jesus Christ.